Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Ian Beckenstein, Alex Matheson, Emily Engelnatsky, and Jordan Hunter in the first episode of the Roundtable series. Focusing on the topic of video coaching, these past and future guests dive into their experiences in the field, providing excellent insight on the process of learning, working with players and coaches, and new things they must deal with on a daily basis. For anyone looking to get into video coaching or learn more about the area, this is a must-listen, and I'm happy to share it with everyone today. With that, here's Ian Beckenstein, Alex Matheson, Emily Anglinatsky, and Jordan Hunter in our roundtable discussion on video coaching. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. This is the first episode of the roundtable series on the Hockey Minds podcast. Uh, this episode in particular will focus on video coaching. And just before we get started here, uh, shout out to Ian Beckenstein for uh, presenting the idea and getting us started here. So uh, first, we'll kind of just go into a quick introduction. Instead of me talking like I usually do, I'll hand it over to the guests to give a little bit of background on themselves and talk about their current positions. So uh, let's start off with Ian himself. Uh, Ian, just talk about who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about your current position. Yeah, well, I won't talk too much about myself because you know I'm sure you guys got tired of me hearing, you know, 125 times on the other episode. So from Montreal, working part-time uh, hockey operations assistant for the Laval Rocket in the American League. Work with the midget AAA Lexington Lions for 10 years, uh, equipment manager and video coach. And that's all really, everything else is on the previous episode. Yeah, and people should definitely go and listen to these episodes. Uh, all these guests will be on, whether it's in the future or they've already been on, as uh, two of them have. So. Be sure to check those out. But next, we'll go to Alex Matheson. Alex, uh, feel free to talk about your career, where you're from, and just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm based in Ottawa. I'm video coach for the uh, University of Ottawa men's uh, program. Uh, been there. I just finished my first year this past season. Uh, for that, I spent about five seasons in the CCHL, the Nepean Raiders, and uh, video coach there for about four years and did game day operations my first year. and coach with their midget team, coach for about 11 years now. So, um, yeah, just that's about it for me. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting story that we'll definitely get to on a future episode with Alex. Uh, we will do the same with Emily. Emily, just talk about your career, uh, a little bit about yourself, and maybe a quick introduction before uh, your episode, you know, in the following weeks. Absolutely. Um, right now, I work for the University of Wisconsin men's ice hockey team. Um, I've been with them since 2015, um, and I was also working with our women's team at the same time for two seasons, and then I moved um, strictly to the men's team in 2017. Um, I also work with the U.S. women's national team. Um, I've worked with their under-18 team as well as their senior women's national team uh, for a couple of world championships. Um, other than that just based in the U.S. and um, that's pretty much it. Yeah another interesting career that uh, a lot of storylines there and a lot of interesting experiences that we'll get into 
but for now, we'll just stick to the round table here. And last but not least, uh, Jordan Hunter. Jordan, how about you uh, give people a little refresher about yourself and talk about your current role? Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate the introduction there. Uh, just finishing off my first season with the uh, Fredericton Junior A Red Wings. We just completed our inaugural season. It was an uh, interesting feat from the beginning because it was new from the ground up. Uh, however, we made, uh, we made many changes and adjustments as the season went on, and we found much success and found a playoff berth in the first season. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19, we didn't get to play. Uh, we were uh, kind of sidelined, if you were to say, uh, right, right the day before that we were supposed to play the number two ranked team in the country, Summerside Caps. And uh, so before that, I kind of got some, have some ties with Hockey Canada uh, as their video coach for the national women's development team. Uh, and then also before that, I spent four years, I got my degree of kinesiology, uh, video coach for UMB men's hockey team. And before that, where it all started, the, where the ground roots kind of came up, if you will, it all started back home in Amherst, where I joined the Junior A Ramblers and was given an opportunity to do a little video. Yeah, no, uh, your story is another one that's a lot of fun and one of the earlier episodes of the podcast. But for those who haven't heard Jordan's episode yet, definitely tune into that one. Um, a lot of great stories and a couple of championships thrown in there as well. So now that you've got a chance to meet the guests here, uh, you know, as we transition into the topic of video coaching, many people are wondering, you know, why you ultimately got into video coaching in the first place. How about we talk about the initial thought process on video coaching and when you decided that it was something you were to uh, pursue in the future? Jordan, let's start with you. Okay. It, uh, it all started like I kind of finished off there about Amherst uh, back home. I was on the board of directors. I served there. We had a rough start. I was 15 and uh, the new head coach in. He had a fresh mindset and he asked me if I'd be interested to do a little film. And after I got into that, into, into the season, getting into the film and uh, a little bit of statistics and analytics, I uh, end up mentioning about taking a post-secondary at UMB. And then from there, I ended up uh, getting the opportunity uh, to approach Gardner McDougall at UMB. And I had a fine four years with him and learned uh, tremendous amounts of video and film as the time went on. And uh, for me, that's what kind of gave me the door was the Junior A Hockey League into university it kind of opened my eyes with um that not every team in particular uses it though it could be a very very powerful tool uh if you do use it and use it the right way for your club yeah so many benefits to it and and there's so many different levels that you can kind of get into it but umb was one of those places for sure that you were able to capitalize on it uh, that university connection is something else that um, a couple of our guests have here as well so alex how about we go into you and just talk about um, why you got into it in the first place? Um, I actually kind of got into it just out of chance. Um, I was with the Nepean Raiders in the CC and uh, I think it was in my second year in December, the video coach just ended up quitting out of nowhere. And uh, I just kind of went up to the general manager the next day and uh, asked if he was looking for somebody. And he's like, do you want it? And I said, yes. <laughs> like It was, uh, I had never... I was not a tech guy at all, so I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know what Steva was. Like, it it could have been Stevia. Like, I had no idea kind of thing. So um, just got into it by luck. I, I wanted to be around junior hockey and um, had been coaching for about five, six years. And uh, it was just kind of my in almost. And uh, thought, like, I'll 
do anything to get in with a junior team. So took that opportunity and ended up really liking it and, and just kind of kept going with it. Yeah. Um, you know, take every opportunity and, and find the thing that you love and video coaching for all of you is one of those things that you're clearly passionate about. Emily, let's talk about your initial experience and, and kind of why you got into the field of video coaching. Yeah, so I actually um, have a degree in film production from the University of Colorado in Boulder. Um, so I had more of a traditional kind of film and TV background. Um, and I played club hockey while I was there. And I didn't know that video coaching was really even a thing, to be honest. Um, and after I graduated, my club coach um, was asked to coach uh, the national team for the World University Games. Um, and they needed someone to do video. So she called me, asked if I wanted to go to Italy for two weeks. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I had no idea what it entailed. Um, so that was kind of getting my feet wet a little bit. Um, and looking back, like I had no idea what I was doing when I went there, but it was a great kind of introduction. Um, and so after that tournament, I kind of figured out like, okay, this is a job. I could do this, you know, as a career. Um, and so I started looking for opportunities. Um, I interviewed for the hockey position at the University of Wisconsin in 2014. Um, and I didn't get it. I was pretty bummed. But uh, the video director called me a couple of months later and said they had an opening with women's basketball and asked if I would be interested. Um, so I figured that was at least a foot in the door. Um, Wisconsin's athletic department is huge. Um, it's really well known. So I figured, you know, any job within the department's good and you know we'll see where it goes from there and luckily for me a year after that the um, person who was doing video for hockey left and he recommended me so um, I was lucky enough to get the job and it kind of just evolved from there year by year. Yeah another opportunity that you took a hold of and we're happy to get in hockey but anytime you can be doing that and, and get a trip out of it and go somewhere abroad it's a lot of fun. Ian's one of those people that on his episode talks about uh, one of those trips and and being involved internationally. Ian, just talk about uh, your first experience and, and why you got into video coaching. Yeah, so as I had said, I started working as a equipment manager and after four years, I kind of wanted to do something else. I had gone to Finland with Team Quebec and you know that was the video or the equipment manager's life. Like go up, get up, eat, go to the rink, skate sharpenings, laundry, everything, you know? And, uh, you know, I'd been doing a lot of research as to what, you know, what it was like at the NHL level. And we had a couple pro guys start skating with us that summer. And so I would ask them, what's it like in the NHL? And they tell me some stories. So I did it for another year. And then I decided to just try something else. We didn't have a video coach. Um, the way I look at it, at it was I'm not interested in being a bench coach. I had done the equipment manager thing. Being an athletic therapist didn't interest me. Scouting didn't really interest me and video coach was left so that's how I got started it, uh, I just took it upon myself and uh, it's worked out pretty well so far yeah I think initiative is one of those things that was pretty common in all the stories there and and trying to find your way into hockey and knowing that you wanted to work in the sport and just figuring out that path to get into it so you know proceeding into um, you know video coaching and and you know being a coach overall uh, when people decide they want to get into that the first step is maybe getting familiar or at least researching software and things like that um, Alex let's start with you maybe just talk about the initial learning curve and some tips for getting in a rhythm you know early on as a video coach 
Yeah, I think um, for me, the learning curve, it was a bit of a challenge. Um, I knew, knew the game, um, but definitely wasn't used to kind of multitasking and stuff. Um, I remember my first game, I was on the bus, it was a two-hour bus ride, and we just had a sheet of paper that had like F for four check, shot for S for shot, and I was just staring at that, like the whole two-hour ride, and like I was nervous as hell, but uh, it just, I found keeping it really simple um, really made a huge difference, so doing stuff like S for shot, and uh, and then maybe shift S for shot against, just keeping it simple really helped, and I was doing about a hundred clips my first few games and, and now I'm over a thousand, you know, so um, it is a learning curve, but I think if you just keep it simple, you're not trying to do too much, which it's really easy to do. Um, just keep it simple and, and go from there. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. And in this job, you really want to be accurate with everything you do. Jordan, uh, let's hear your initial steps there and, and what the learning curve was like for you. Yeah, I think I'd just kind of build on to what Alex was saying there. You uh, you really have to simplify uh, when it terms of video coaching because uh, there's so many aspects of, of video coaching and things you can track and and all this that you're you're literally giving a list, giving a list on Exo, Steve, or whatever have you. Whenever you get the software, and it, it gives you about thirty or thirty five different tags that are just set in there. For example. And that can kind of overwhelm uh, folks that are starting off maybe fresh. And my biggest advice I'd say to them would be to make it into your own craft right from the start. And just, just again, mentioning about earlier is that you have to really simplify your keys uh, as, as well as uh, what you're looking for as well. You have to have that uh, communication and relationships with your coaching staff as well as the players to know um, not only kind of what they want to see, but what would be effective in making us a better team. Yeah, a number of great points there and a couple of different topics we'll get into uh, a little bit later in the, the roundtable. But Ian, uh, let's hear your um, side of that and, and maybe some initial steps, uh, you know, dealing with that learning curve. So I'd say the learning curve is really you have to kind of write down what the kind of roles and responsibilities are. Like you should know what you have to do pre-game, in-game, post-game, practice. Um, for me, I remember I took the computer home that summer and, you know, everyone's probably going to get a laugh out of this, but I was loading DVDs into the computer. You know, when did we use a DVD last? And I just practiced. Um, I know you, everyone had mentioned so far, you know, go slow and know your clip list. And for me, I want to, you know, have it all like this. And so, you know, you have to go slow. You have to understand what all the windows are for. Definitely rely on you know, if someone knows the system better than you, like let's say one of your coaches or the customer support, don't be afraid to reach out and speak to those people. You can learn some tips and tricks from them. Um, you know, learning the key list is huge, going step by step. And it's really big to be consistent because once you start adding new things and the coaching staff likes it, you have to, you know, consistently clip everything that's on your list that the coaching staff expects. Um, and then just once you get a good handle on it, a big thing for me is sub events. Like I think anyone can kind of clip shot, goal, forecheck, et cetera. But I think what makes a good video coach, great video coach is the amount of sub events or detail uh, that you can put into and how organized you are. So for example, sub event for me is 
you, you know, I would tag F for forecheck, but what type of forecheck is it? One, two, 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 one, two. Um, if it's a chance, what type of chance was it? So all your details there. And uh, yeah, you know, just go slow, practice, practice, practice. I think Alex mentioned before is, is the multitasking. It's, you know, you're going to be hitting a lot of keys at once. Like I was giving a demonstration two weeks ago and I was like, wow, you cut that many clips. I said, yeah, well, think about it. A goal has goal, shot, chance. So in one scenario, you have three clips right there. He's like, yeah, that makes sense. So just something like that you have to, you have to keep track of. And also just remember, use the delay from when you're importing the video onto your computer. Don't think you have to be up to speed with the live game action. Use the delay. Usually the video is on a two, three second delay. So that was really big too. It didn't stress me out as much. Yeah, a really good point to make there and something that people probably don't consider early on. Uh, three of you guys have made great points. Emily, uh, maybe clue it up here and just talk about uh, dealing with that initial learning curve. Uh, you were in basketball, so just a little bit different there, but just talk about that a bit. Yeah, I think everyone made really good points. Um, you're not going to be able to just go run and gun. Um, you kind of have to go step by step and figure out, okay, there's a camera. How do I get the feed to my laptop? Um, you also kind of have to figure out uh, troubleshooting as things happen. Um, and that's probably one thing that used to maybe freak me out the most is, okay, what happens if my feed drops or, you know, something like that happens and it's going to happen. Like you just have to know that those things happen. It's technology. Um, and so kind of learning how to problem solve um, as things happen, I think is really important. Um, and I think the communication aspect is really big too, making sure you talk with your coaches a lot and make sure you know what they value the most um, and kind of working smarter and not harder, um, making sure that you get kind of the foundation of things you know your coaches are gonna need. And then maybe you can go back later and add some of those sub events or labels or things like that. So I would just say communication is a big part um, and just making sure you're not overloading yourself if it's not necessary to. Yeah, good communication really is key and, and having that uh, simplistic style, but also getting the information through things like sub events, like Ian was saying. So proceeding into software itself, coaches have different preferences and sometimes that's the coaching staff who's receiving and then sometimes it's the video coaches themselves. Uh, let's go right back to you, Emily. How about you just touch on some of your favorites uh, in terms of the software? and maybe some of the different features that you've seen out there that others should be aware of. So I'm actually pretty lucky to be able to use both Exos and sports code. Um, with the national team, we use Exos. Um, at the University of Wisconsin, we use sports code. So I'm in a really interesting position to kind of compare them live as they're happening. Um, they're both great products. I think a lot of it comes down to user preference um, and kind of how your coaches think um, for a lot of coaches, the Exos interface makes sense because it's more um, kind of in their minds, it looks like a spreadsheet um, and it's easier to kind of sort things out. Sports code, on the other hand, is a little more visual. Um, it's a little more flexible in terms of how you can make things look. So, I mean, at the end of the day, they both do the same thing. They both capture video. They allow you to market and do a lot of things out of it. Um, so I think, you know, it really comes down to um, user preference and they're both, you know, great softwares um, that are highly used in all leagues, um, but it is 
really cool and really interesting to kind of use them simultaneously. Yeah, it definitely helps with uh, learning as well, having access to both of them and taking things from both sides. Uh, Ian, let's hear your thoughts on the, uh, the software debate. Yeah, like, honestly, I don't know if I have much more to add compared to what Emily said. Like I've used Steva, Exos, and then this past summer I learned Sports Code. Sports Code is definitely more customizable and Exos is definitely more structured. Um, you know, it's really just you have to learn what you want to do and how to access the information and, uh, you know, just make the software work for you. I honestly, I don't know if let's say I was starting a team and said, which one would you pick right now? I'm not really sure. So they're both great. I've enjoyed using them both. So I definitely recommend anyone to, you know, if you want to get into video coaching or coaching in general, just try to get some free trials and, you know, learn, learn, learn. Yeah. Always take advantage of those free trials. And there's a lot of great reps out there and, really just goes to show that, uh, you know, we hear so many people go either way on that debate, uh, how close those softwares really are. Uh, Jordan, let's hear your experience and, and maybe some of your favorite features. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, so I've used two different softwares and uh, both of them are Exos and Steva. And what I have more experience in thus far has been Steva, uh, whether it was through the junior hockey experience with the junior A clubs or uh, whether it was bringing it to Fredericton uh, or the UMB Hockey Club, I, I always use Steva. And from the first time that I've used it, I felt a, a huge reliance on it. There is, there's a form of simplicity to it. And um, just in the last few years, they've even added different branches uh, to only add to their, to their features to make it similar to Exos. And they have, uh, they have a forum program called Point Street Performance, where uh, I brought it to UMB the first season. We've two, two months in, we found that we could make communication a little bit better. So they have this uh, cloud option where players can view it on their mobile phone, on their, on their phones. Uh, coaches can watch it at home. It was great because of the part-time nature of coaches in university hockey. And then it transitioned over to the same thing over in Fredericton. Worked very well. Uh, now in saying that, Exos is very similar, but I find it's uh, a little more complex in terms of uh, getting the information but once you get everything together I find Exos in terms of finding data that you want to use to provide players for improvements then I would go with Exos but in terms of film uh, just in general cutting film I would go with Steva. Yeah different strengths yeah. there for both of them definitely. Uh, Alex what's your concluding thoughts on the topic? Uh, pretty much what everybody else said that's um, I've been using probably sports code for a year and a half or so. Um, and then mostly using Steva before that. Um, I think kind of like Emily said, it just depends what you're looking for. Um, at junior A, Steva was all we needed. We didn't need analytics or stats in the middle of periods or anything like that. We, we wanted video. It was simple. It was cheap, easy to use. Um, so we used Steva. Um, going into university, having sports code, um, I like it. It's, like everybody said, it's customizable. The visualization aspect of it is, I think, a big uh, game changer almost. Um, it's just not like period, intermissions, you only have maybe 10, 15 minutes to look at something. So if you can make it visual so somebody can see something that stands out, just makes it a bit easier. Um, I work for Hockey Canada now. I don't know Tyler Dietrich wants to switch me over to Exos, but um, 
I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah, it's uh, kind of what you get comfortable with, but you know, there's there's so many different options, and like you said, it's just a matter of uh, finding what's right for you and and making it fit, as you've all said. So, uh, you know, you now have the software and want to start doing some work. The next step is your setup. Uh, I know everyone has their own unique approach and, and setup. So, how about we just uh, let's hear a little bit about your own setups, including uh, some things like the computer itself and other equipment. Uh, Ian, let's start with you. I know you've uh, written some stuff on your newsletter that kind of ties into this. So uh, just talk about your setup and, and some of the equipment that you uh, use on a daily basis. Yeah. So, you know, with every video coach, like Emily mentioned, there's the camera, there's the converter box, your computer. Um, I definitely like to have as much space uh, spread out as I can for everything. Um, on exos and sports code, I would definitely try to minimize my, my video window because in mid to triple A we're sitting in the arena, not a coach's office. So I don't really need that. And then definitely my clip list and my, my keys at the bottom would be, would be shown more. One thing I always liked was to have each column be open as much as it could be. So I can see what my last clip was just as a reference in case I forgot something or wanted to check if it was there and then be able to make sure I can read uh, all of my, my sub events. Um, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of stuff is, is on the blog post already. Um, you know, one thing that I definitely like about my setup is that I want it to be easy to remember. Uh, it's gotta be, it's gotta kind of make sense. Like F for forecheck, F for shot. Now it doesn't always make sense, uh, because you only have a certain amount of keys, but, uh, you know, definitely keep it simple. Um, I did like if you've had a chance to look at Pat Dolan's keyboard setup, I really like that concept about how he kind of centralized everything. So instead of S being shot on the outside, he would have shot in the middle chance in the middle because those are frequently hit keys. So that was, that was really cool. Maybe that's something I would try, but I think I have a pretty, pretty basic setup compared to everybody else. Yeah. Everybody really does. Uh, it's very similar a lot of times, but like you mentioned, some people do like to, switch it up a little bit there and had their own unique touch. Uh, Emily, let's hear uh, about your setup and, and some of the things you like to do with that. I like to keep mine fairly simple. Um, so I guess we'll get into this a little later, but at home um, I'm working from our coach's locker room. Um, so I do like to have kind of a bigger monitor for that game feed. Um, but everything else, like the less that I have to look at, in the room is better just for my brain. Um, so I like to keep things a little simple, um, maybe even minimalistic. Um, but typically it's pretty much just laptop and the converter boxes. Um, my hotkeys have stayed the same for years. Um, and even, you know, with the women's national team, like I put some of my hotkeys into Exos as well, um, just because I think creature habit, um, once you have you know, I use V for forecheck. Like I can't imagine using anything else. Um, so I think after a while, it just gets ingrained in your head. Um, and like, for me personally, if I'm just watching a game, like I'm thinking like, okay, V forecheck, like B breakout. Um, so even just kind of thinking about it that way too might help people. But in general, I just like to keep things simple. Yeah, when you're hitting these keys that many times, there's repetition. It definitely sticks. Um, Alex, let's hear a little bit about your setup and and maybe uh, you like to keep it simple as well, or do you change it up? Yeah, I think 
mine's usually pretty simple. Um, university hockey, junior A hockey, I have no idea where I'm going to sit and do video. So I could be in a press box at home or I could be on the road and be sitting next to a season ticket holder in the stands. Like it's, I literally just don't know. So I always have uh, a small table with me, which I find makes a huge difference instead of having the keyboard on your lap or anything like that. Um, I try and keep wires and everything to a minimum. And uh, same with the keyboard layout. I don't get how Emily uses V for four check. That would blow my mind up, I think. Um, I've had the same hockeys, I think, since I started. So I um, think keeping it simple that way and just whatever makes it easier for you to clip games is, is what you go with. Yeah, I think something as simple as bringing a table can uh, make a difference. And those are the little things that you learn uh, through just being in the job. Uh, Jordan, let's, uh, let's hear your thoughts on the, uh, the setup. Yeah, the setup for me, it's uh, <clears throat> the experience kind of for me has been really similar to Alex, where you're in university or junior hockey rink. Uh, even if you're on home ice, to be completely honest, you can't depend on having a spot. And so for what I did, and this is all trial and error, what everything that I do, it's it's simple, but it's all trial and error things that you find out along the way. So I do things like go up, you know, two and a half hours before the puck drop is supposed to start, make sure I have all my wires, equipment, uh, just again, adding on to what they said there. And it's with the, like the camera, the box, uh, ensuring that you have uh, electrical tape uh, and all kinds of duct tape, just so, because I like to keep my wires extremely organized uh, in my working area. Uh, just so you know, when there is an issue that does come up, you know where you know to kind of troubleshoot, couple, troubleshoot uh, faster than not, and that's really important in video because if you lose a, a feed, it's a lot easier uh, to find it again and put it back together if you know which wire is what, and you can get it back on in a matter of seconds. Um, so for me, it's that the setup is pretty similar to them, and I also have uh, pretty much from my first game with the UMB Reds, I kind of built my own uh, spreadsheet, so to speak, where each period I have lined up uh, in the columns. And then on, on rows, I have a, a set of different game events that I track in, in the game. And what I do is I track the clip numbers. So right after the game or even in the intermission, I can think about that clip. And if there's something that comes up in intermissions or after the game where it could come useful, I know where it is right spot on and I can go to it and refer to it right away. And uh, on the other side of my, my laptop from the chart, I'd have an iPad. And what I do there is there's a really simple uh, time on ice tracker where you track the lines go on and off the ice. It's a matter of just touching uh, the, the line mates that are going on and off. And you do that for special team shots, do face-offs, and it spits out a beautiful report uh, every intermission. And they can collect that through games and use that towards playoffs, for example, in your pre-scout packages. Yeah, a number of ways to add value and some really good tips there for people who are looking to enhance their role overall. Uh, Ian, I'll throw it back to you for a final thought on the topic. Yeah, just something that Emily and Alex had got me thinking. It's, um, you know, Emily said she uses V for forecheck, but I actually took a button from her. She had a retrieval button that I saw once. So to me, R was already regrouped. So to me, what am I going to put for retrieval? So for whatever reason, because there's a V in retrieval, I use V. 
And then just as we talked about sports code before about how it's more visual and adding value, one thing you can do is um, you can, so let's say you have a breakout, you can change the color tone so that all your breakouts at different strengths show up. So when I was playing around with mine in the summer, um, I had, let's say, I think B is green for breakout, breakout against is pink. And then all my power play events were, I think a darker green. Yeah. And then all my PK events were a lighter or darker pink. So just, you know, we were talking about visually before and what the setup is like, just so the coaches know, okay, I need my dark green as power play. I'm going to go right to that section. Yeah. Uh, just again, another way to customize your, your set and uh, be able to extract information that way, but a great point to uh, conclude that topic. So uh, one of the things that a number of you guys touched on just a little bit and another takeaway from your ne newsletter, Ian, is uh, the difference in your home game routine and your away game routine. Uh, you all have different stops, you know, including NCAA, U sports, minor hockey, among other things. Uh, Alex, let's, uh, let's start with you. Maybe just touch on your routine and then how they differ when you're home and when you're on the road. Yeah, I, I'm usually at the rink, I don't know why, but probably three hours, four hours before the game. Um, don't need to be there at all that early, but I just like getting there early, making sure I have everything I need. I have the same bag with all my gear in it, so always just double-checking that I have an HD cord or whatever I need. So getting to the rink probably three hours before the game. I'll usually maybe watch the game before, um, watch some stuff on the opponent. Um, towards the end of the season, I was doing highlight videos for players. So stuff we could send off to pro teams and stuff. So I found that just a good time. I'm away from home, work, whatever. I could just focus solely on hockey stuff. So did that. Um, usually about two hours before the game, we have our first video session. Um, so we're around for that. Luckily at home, we can use one of the classrooms that are close by and have a pretty good setup there. Uh, after that, go set up all my camera equipment, uh, make sure the computer works. Like that's an hour and a half before the game, just so my nerves are a bit, bit calm, that everything's actually working and not going to have hopefully many issues. But um, set up, then I'll go back to the coach's room, sit there for a bit, pretty much till warm up and um, probably just kind of shoot the shit or talk about analytics or maybe watch hockey, just kind of relax. Or usually I found myself more as an IT guy. So I was probably fixing a coach's phone or something like that. So um, in game, clipping stuff. Um, we have an iPad going to the bench. So always making sure that feed's going in between periods, bringing down the computer, showing any clips they want to see, um, showing them face-offs, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, post-game is just getting uh, all our home games have to be uploaded to uh, VidSwap, which is just a video sharing for, uh, for the league. So got to get that video up there. And we also have Iceberg Analytics. So get the video uploaded there make sure everything's right. Um, usually review goals, make sure it was actually given to the right guy and um, right guy has the assist, that kind of thing. Um, and that's kind of the same same thing on the road. Um, I try and set up almost as soon as we get off the bus or at least look for a spot. Um, especially this year, I had no no idea where I was going at any of the rinks. So setting up early, making sure I had everything I needed and things were working well.
But other than that, it kind of about the same routine, home and away. Yeah, no, interesting to hear that. And um, I'm sure it's going to be a common theme of getting to the rink and, and checking things and, and checking again. Jordan, uh, let's hear your routine. Yeah, so it's it's pretty much uh, stuck pretty simple and the same since the start. And what I found is that I found going in the mornings is really important. It, and it depends really actually more so on what coach you're working with. But for me, I kind of had the, like, you can call it to be a fortunate thing. I had coaches that so far, uh, all of them are very, very on their feet and quick. And that comes also with their ideas and decision-making. So I try to go in in the mornings to make sure that if there's anything technical that wants to be adjusted for, say, the pre-scout video, uh, which does have, happen often, um, that, make, that gets changed. If there's anything from, you know, team breakfast, anything like that, I'll always attend it because I just feel like when it's a game day, whether it's home on the road, I, I always want to be with the boys in the group and not only just with the coaches, but just try and even, you know, loosen them up in a sense and let them know that you're there and you're there as a team. And I, I just really like being around and, and then I'll go home, get ready for the game, show up a couple hours before, uh, get everything set up and then, uh, go down for our, uh, our special teams meeting and help with the video for that. And uh, did a lot more of the vocal and the technical work uh, in Fredericton, really fortunately. And then as well as in, with Hockey Canada last summer with the national women's team. And intermissions, it would consist of going down to the coach's room. Uh, and no matter what experience it was, it was all pretty much the same. We, If we had a TV in the office, we would go over uh, shots or four checks, uh, goals, anything that most, for the most part, anything that would come to mind from what I viewed from the period that might want to be looked over, uh, just simply as we discuss things as a group in the first four or five minutes as coaches, I just roll the clips and it kind of catches an eye of a coach, you know, maybe of a certain clip that we, something that we can bring a group in or just address the team on and we show the ice times and it's uh, pretty much the same on the road. Yeah, uh, similarity again with Alex uh, being ready and, and being there early, even with a team breakfast. So uh, the commitment's there for sure. Emily, let's uh, let's hear your routine and, and some of the things that you like to do on a game day. Yeah, so I would say our my home routine and our my away routine is a little different. Um, at home, there's definitely more responsibility um, in terms of just making sure all the feeds are up and running, uh, visiting team isn't having any issues. Um, we're lucky that a lot of our home games are televised. Um, so making sure that TV feed is up and running. And then I also have a student who's just running a camera at center ice. Um, so making sure he's all good, uh, making sure those feeds work. Um, we have the ability to challenge goals. Um, so I have a tablet at home that has the replay system. So making sure that's up and running. Um, and then kind of just a jack of all trades, like, you know, if anything comes up where I can help, um, even if it's like escorting scouts down to the coach's locker room to talk to the coaches. Um, so I'd say there's a lot more responsibility at home, um, but similar to the other guys, we're there in the mornings kind of preparing for meetings. Um, we usually have, if we play at seven, it's like an 11 or 11.30 meeting. Um, there's a pregame meal afterwards, and then we all kind of go home. I'm like Alex, I like to be there probably too early, um, but probably three hours ahead, just making sure, like I said, those feeds work, uh, making sure my student shows up. 
Um, everything's kind of running in order. Um, we have a special teams meeting about an hour and a half out. And then just, like I said, anything that comes up. Um, in between periods, I just make sure all the coaches have the period file so they can look at whatever they want. Um, for me, my coaches like to look at, they all look at something different. So one coach is looking at chances, another coach is looking at entries. Um, so they each look at that. I'll put special teams up on the TV in the locker room for our guys to watch and review. And then after the game, um, we have to upload it to uh, Exos Thundercloud Exchange, which is our league league exchange site. Um, it has to be up within a certain amount of time. So just making sure that all goes according to plan. Um, and then just doing it again the next day for us, um, our games are back to back. Um, but on the road, you know, it's pretty much I get there, I set up, make sure everything is going, you know, working. Um, maybe catch up with the other team's video person. Um, and it's just a lot less um, other noise to manage. So for me, it's a little bit different um, home in a way. Yeah, good point. Uh, at home games, you definitely take on multiple roles. And, and when you are there early, as all of you have been, uh, you know, you kind of find ways to make yourself useful and, and do different uh, interactions and, you know, just add to, uh, you know, your role overall. So, uh, Ian, let's hear your thoughts on the, uh, the home, and game, uh, home and away routines. Yeah, so at home with the Lions, definitely try to be there minimum two and a half hours, two, two and a half hours before the game. Um, really just set up everything that I can before in the system, uh, rosters, uh, our stat sheets, time on ice. Like Jordan mentioned, we had the iPad too there. Um, make sure like the coaches had all the video they needed. Um, I didn't really partake video wise in pregame meetings. We didn't do much video there. Um, an hour before the game, make sure like, you know, like Emily said, look, make sure the camera person's there, have that set up, make sure there's no issues, do a test. Uh, maybe the other video coaches there already, you know, say hi, see if they need anything. Um, and then, yeah, cut the game, post game, you know, fill out the stat sheets that have to be sent to the league, upload the video to the server, whether it was point streak or now that league is with Exos. Um, what else? That's pretty much it. Just make sure everything's done. that has to get done on the road. Since, you know, it's not your home building, you know, I try to keep the same routine to an extent. Um, sometimes an hour before the game, the away team or when you're on the road, they're not always set up because in midget, uh, you know, you can't keep cameras and tables and chairs all over the place. So you just kind of try to do your best to keep the same routine. But overall, the whole focus is really just be focused on being prepared, setting up, having no issues. Um, in Laval, minimum two hours before, uh, pick up our computers, get what we need from the coaching staff. You know, some days there's hey, how is it going? That's it. And some days it's like, oh, can you help us with this? Help us with that. And then by the time you look around, you have to eat and, and the game's starting. So definitely try to be there as early as possible with within reason. And post-game in Laval, make sure the coaches have all the reports. Make sure the video coach has everything he needs. Um, sometimes we have to run video to the away team if they're feed cuts or something like that. Uh, so yeah, basically the same stuff. Yeah, no, um, great points. And the common theme here is, is show up early and, 
and be prepared to do anything. And I think it goes to show that uh, video coaching isn't as simple as sitting down at game time, cutting the clips and going home after there's so many uh, minor tasks that a lot of people overlook. So, you know, while video breakdown and systems and a lot of different things that we touched on are our main focus in the job, uh, analytics have now become intertwined with the job in many cases at different levels. Uh, Jordan, maybe we'll start with you. Just talk about your own exposure to analytics and then how others can utilize it down the road as they look to, you know, progress in video coaching at different levels. For sure. Uh, I really think that for a lot of folks that really start into analytics, statistics, anything like that, I would say a majority would be overwhelmed because uh, you read the books, you read articles, there's so many different perspectives. There is a vast number of concepts and it's only growing because it's starting to finally catch up with baseball and it's a newer thing in the last, you know, even decade and particularly in the last, you know, three to five years. And for me, I'd say the important thing would be is to, to find how it works with your club. And that would be finding, you know, doing your research and finding just a simple fun stat, uh, you know, that, you know, both the players would enjoy and they, they would also take in as, you know, somewhat of a teaching tool or a performance tool. So I kind of use analytics in a few different areas uh, for us. And I've, I found that it's beneficial using it in pre-scouts when you're, uh, you're, when you're watching an opponent, getting ready, watching a few games, whether it's one or two games, and then you put together your own little custom report. And it would be similar to what Alex mentioned about receiving uh, uh, iceberg sports, uh, except just a little more tailored to your club. Just make it out of a, uh, you know, Microsoft Word document and PowerPoint, dress it up a little bit. And depending on what it is, uh, if your coaching staff and yourself and players agree that it's beneficial, you can post it in the room. You can use uh, certain statistics as, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings with players or even uh, special teams, for example. And it could be another tool to use on top of video to say, okay, this is, is and is not working because of this and you show them the film and then you say here is the numbers and here is an approach that we have that shows what areas are weak what areas are strong and how we can kind of build off of that and it really 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 is useful for goal setting and that's both for the individual level and the team level and it depends on again on what you track and what you find important but statistics analytics in particular are, are huge in kind of helping you measure and see if your team has gone to the potential that you set out to as a group and as an individual level as well yeah whenever you can add another tool um, to the team and and help to you know like you said set those goals and see how you're reaching those goals it's only beneficial for everybody uh, emily let's hear your thoughts on analytics and uh, you know some of the uh, the thoughts around that topic um, I think it's definitely kind of grown slowly um, with us at Wisconsin. Um, our coaches come from the professional ranks where they kind of viewed analytics not as like the enemy, um, but for them the seeing eye test was more important. Um, so I think I like to look at it as just another tool in the toolbox. Um, it's not something that you live and die with. Um, you don't necessarily need to make decisions based just off analytics. Um, but kind of like Jordan said, it can really kind of help um, a point that you're trying to make. Um, 
and you can use it that way. Um, so I've started really simple, uh, just in Excel, kind of tracking things that way. Um, and I've learned that our coaches do like that. Um, they like to see things kind of game by game, um, especially halfway through the season or at the end of the season, um, just trying to see where players are at. Um, did they meet expectations? Did they not meet expectations? Where did we struggle? Um, you know, where did we do well? So I just like to look at it as another tool. It's not something we, like I said, live and die on, um, but it's just something to help us a little bit. Yeah, it really is something that you want to uh, pair with with other areas in, in Sarnia, um, you know, with coaching staffs and things like that. Analytics are just another tool that, uh, you know, you throw it into the conversation and when you have those different viewpoints, it brings results. Uh, Ian, let's move over to you and just talk about your thoughts on analytics and how it can be useful in the position. Yeah, so definitely, listen, analytics are here to stay. They definitely can be used as a tool. Um, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily use them with players unless they came to me and said, hey, you know, can you show me some stuff? Because they're already got so much on their plates with playing and tickets and agents and, uh, you know, systems and ice time and this and that. So I wouldn't go to it with players unless they came to me. And then in terms of uh, using it as a coaching staff, for example, in Laval, um, everything that I did there, because, you know, once again, I'm not full time there. So, you know, I know I'm not part of the team. So I always want to be careful of boundaries, but Anytime I presented something to the coaching staff, I always like to have a small sample size as to what I did before just saying, hey, here's an idea. Because then when you bring them the sample size, you can A, skip the conversation of, is it good or is it bad? How can it help us? Or, oh, let's see what it does for us. No, it's just boom. You have it. This is what it's going to look like. Obviously, it can change, but you just skip so many conversations. And then... Same thing with when you're marking a game, you want to make sure that everything you're doing, you're going to be able to sustain the level of reporting because if the coaching staff likes it, then they're obviously going to want it and you're going to keep doing it. So you have to make sure that it's sustainable, uh, you're efficient and uh, you know, you're regular, you're regularly sending them the updates when they need them. So just like yeah. anything else in life, like, you know, just be careful with it show the value in it and uh, oh yeah that's the other thing I want to mention use concrete examples so one thing that we look or that I like to look at is is rebounds so the concept I use is like basketball in basketball you want to out rebound the team in your end and out rebound them in their end so you're giving up less second opportunities and you're creating more second opportunities so that's one thing I've really found too is kind of take outside of hockey examples and bring those in. And then it's kind of sometimes like the light goes on, like, Oh, that's a good, Oh, uh, you know, that makes so much more sense or, you know, rebounds is an easy example, but some of the other ones, Oh, that makes a lot more sense or, okay, I see where you're coming from now, you know? So. Yeah. So many things that you can really learn from other sports. And I like the example of uh, being careful when working with the players and coaching staff and, and how you use those analytics. Jordan said you can do it in the meetings and, and sometimes it's appropriate to just bring it straight to the coaches. Uh, Alex, what's your thoughts on analytics and maybe some of your experience with that? Yeah, I think I'm probably more kind of towards Emily's view of it, that it's just an added, added tool that you can use in kind of conjunction with video. Um, I don't think you can go one way and just focus on analytics, but I don't think you can just focus on video either. I think it you need to find a bit of a balance. Um, and you got to be kind of 
careful with what you're you're looking at as well. There's so many different metrics out there, like expected goals per 60 seconds of a guy's ship. Like, who cares at the end of the day? Like, um, you just kind of got to find stuff that does make sense to you, does make sense to your coaches, especially. Um, you don't want to overcomplicate them. I think everybody gets caught up in seeing numbers and everything like that. So you just kind of, again, keep it kind of simple and, and just show analytics in a way that kind of makes sense for everybody and, and find stuff that just matters to your team. If you just want to see guys expected goals and then just focus on that and don't focus on about rebound to shot ratio or, or something like that, you just keeping it simple. Um, we, we have iceberg, like I said, in, in university and it is a good tool because it kind of joins analytics and videos that you can watch, watch clips of certain stats and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think just kind of keeping it simple and you don't need to overcomplicate things. I think it gets pretty messy with certain analytics and everything. So it's just, just another tool to, to help you get by. Yeah, uh, really, really good point there. And uh, I work in analytics and I think that's one of the, the main takeaways that I've learned uh, from working in that field is, uh, you know, you can have those fancy numbers, but at the end of the day, if it's not concrete information that can actually be used, uh, you know, it's just just writing on the wall. So uh, your conversation and your blurb there sparked in our thought from Ian. Ian, how about you go ahead and then give some insight here? Yeah, one thing I just wanted to mention too was with analytics and, you know, working with older staffs and former NHL players, you know, like Emily mentioned, they, they rely on the eye test, but if you can a keep it to a standard one page report, I feel like that's really helped kind of my cause. If you can structure it in a way that makes sense. So for example, the way I give the reports, it's D zone, neutral zone, ozone scoring. So it's kind of, you know, breaking out of the D zone to the ozone. And you can kind of color code things and add visuals like just doing those couple things right there is really going to help your cause rather than just saying, Hey, here's a spreadsheet, you know, tell them why have information there that, you know, why it's important and why you pulled that out because there's so much out there. Yeah. Data presentation and information presentation. It really makes a difference in, in fancy information and, and real useful information. Uh, one of the unique parts of being a video coach is the amount of exposure you get to various people in hockey operations, you know, whether it be coaches, players, or management. Uh, Emily, let's start with you and maybe throughout your experiences, what are some of your tips for working with these players and coaches and, and building that trust and overall unity amongst the staff? Yeah, I would say kind of as Ian alluded to, the players have a lot going on. Um, so if you can kind of be, and you know, they're also nervous about playing time and are they in the lineup? Are they out of the lineup? Um, so sometimes you can kind of be that buffer uh, for them between the coaching staff. Um, you know, they might have questions for you like, hey, is there something you're seeing that, you know, might help me? Um, so just kind of being, again, another tool in the toolbox for them to utilize um, and just making sure that you're approachable too. You don't want to seem like, you know, just some person who sits at a computer and is, you know, not sociable or whatever, um, making sure that they know they can come to you with questions um, if they want to see something even if it's, you know, their favorite NHL player, um, making sure you're available. Um, and for the coaching staff, I think just being flexible, um, you know, a lot of things come up during the season 
Um, you want to be reliable. You want to make sure that, again, you're someone they can go to um, when they need something. And a lot of the times it might be last minute. It might be a little inconvenient or interrupt what you're doing. Um, but just making sure that you're kind of a jack of all trades resource for people to go to um, and someone that people can rely on you when they really need you. Yeah, great points there. Uh, just you know, being ready at all times to to help and, and lend a helping hand and, and be that bridge for the players when they're looking for the extra information. Uh, Alex, how about you give some of your thoughts on, uh, you know, working with the players and, and coaches and, and building that trust? Yeah, I think kind of like Emily said, with, with players, you're you're kind of a go-between. You're not a coach that's always barking at them or yelling at them during practice or games, but you're not a player either. You're kind of that happy medium. Um, so I think just, again, being open with them and um, whether it's just joking around with whatever. Like I was, when we were at the national championships, we were there for a few few days last uh, last spring. And, you know, one night I was live tweeting the bachelorette and like end up joking around with that about the, about that the next day with some of the guys and just kind of keeping it a bit relaxed and and then if they need any video or stats or anything like that just be approachable to help them out and kind of be adaptable um, I think it's kind of the same with the coaches you do have to understand your role as a video coach you're not the head coach what you just because you see something from the stands, from your angle, doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's gonna get implemented. You're a video coach. I've worked with guys that are, you're just there to punch the keys kind of thing. But you just kinda of gotta understand who you're working for and with and just adapting to their personality. They're not gonna adapt to you, unfortunately. Yeah, no. Like it, you, you gotta adapt to them, so if you have a, a coach that is just big into video, make sure you have a ton of video. If you have a guy that likes seeing face-offs every game, have face-offs like a visual representation of those every game. Just you're the one who has to adapt to the people around you, I think. So just being adapting like that, being open to not being kind of the guy in a way. You're, you're a jack of all trades, like everybody's pretty much said. Yeah, uh, you know, so many good things there. And I like that, uh, you know, relationship that you have with the players and, and being in amongst uh, the group there and, you know, the bachelor, bachelorette, whatever you're, you're tweeting about and things like that, just having those conversations. and Only and the bachelorette. Those... I don't oh, watch The Bachelor. Oh, no. good. All right, we'll, uh, we'll make sure to throw that in there. Um, Ian, I don't know if you watch either of those, but how about you give your thoughts on uh, working with players and, and coaches and building that relationship? That's Ian and I, uh next podcast is a bachelorette breakdown. Oh, yeah. So we're going to start recording that next season, I think. Yeah, I'll be definitely tuning into that one. <laughs> there we go. We can have uh, the Bachelor Minds podcast spinoff. But, oh, there we go. Um, yeah, tips for working with coaches and players. I think it's, it's pretty much what everyone said, but I just want to expand on it. It's really, yeah, you have to be the happy medium and, and kind of thrive working in between everyone. But it's really knowing – everyone's routines like for example a coach is much more structured than an equipment manager because equipment managers deal with 20 players for sticks skates gitch you know you guys have all seen the dumbest things come up just when you think you've seen it all something else comes up so it's really just knowing 
everyone else's kind of schedules, especially on a game day. Um, knowing when, you know, when the athletic therapist is free, the equipment manager, like I mentioned, um, you know, some players you can talk to all day and night at the rink, they don't care. But when they get on the ace, they play some guys, it's super serious. You know, it's more of just, Hey, that's it. And then when the game's over, they're more open to talking. So yeah, just really get to know how everyone works. Um, you know, kind of mind your own space. Uh, you know, everyone has their own space that they like to work in the coach's office and stuff like that, you know, keep your area clean, organized. Um, yeah. Like Alex said, if, the coach really likes video then just overload him with video you know so just get to know how everyone works and uh yeah just optimize that yeah learn those tendencies whether it's players coaches uh you know it's all uh, working cogs in the same machine uh jordan let's hear your uh, your thoughts on the topic yeah uh emily alex and ian brushed on those points very well and for me personally i couldn't agree with their approaches more it was how you do your day to day uh, and looking at a player's perspective. I think it has to be a, you have to have that mentality when you go into the rink every day, it's players first. Like the experience that you're learning every single day, it's beneficial to you. It's good for your career. It's good for your aspirations, whatever you plan on doing. But at the end of the day, you're there to improve the players and the team first. And once you get that in bed, I think that's really, really beneficial in terms of getting that relationship uh, intact with your players. Because once they see that, you're, you're not going to get a relationship in terms of like, you know, a friendship uh, like any other outside of a hockey team. Because once they know that you're all in, whether you're the equipment guy uh, or, the, or the equipment manager, sorry, or the athletic therapist or the video coach, once they see that you're all in and that you also care, they're going to give it right back to you. And it doesn't matter where you came from, what your background was, whether, you know, I played uh, up to high school hockey, that doesn't matter. That goes all out the window. That's the same as how your friends look at you from home and at school. And once you find that out, and once you find that medium as a person and working with the players that they're just regular people inside the rink, just like the folks out, you're going to be just fine. And that goes on similar with the coaches is that, they might be intimidating, especially my first year, I'll go on again to UMB. It was incredibly uh, nerve wracking my first week at UMB. Uh, I thought the second day would be better. And honestly, I think the third day was the worst. You just don't, it, it takes time to get used to coaches and their demands and uh, to get used to that environment. But again, once you show them that trust and once you develop a relationship that, you know, you're, you're professional, but you're also loose, you know, that you're, you know, you can talk and you can talk about things not hockey related. That's when things go really well. And that only not only helps your relationships with the players and coaches, but it also boosts the team culture as well. You're contributing to it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the right approach and the right mindset really is the key to uh, working with so many people and, and building that uh, proper process in the team. Uh, Ian, let's throw it to you here. Uh, one of the topics I decided to bring to the table is the ups and downs of the job. Uh, looking at your career to date and without being too specific, uh, what are some of the hardest parts of being a video coach? And also what are some of, you know, the more enjoyable moments? Uh, so some of the hardest parts is, you know, what happens if your feet cuts out? How do you get it back? Did you miss anything? Um, you know, like we said before, you're kind of the in-between person. So just managing 
maybe requests from the coach, management, the league, any, you know, the official supervisor, stuff like that. So just juggling everything that comes your way and getting it all done in an organized and timely manner. And then honestly, the easiest part is really just doing the game. Like no one's bothering you for video. If the feed's working, you're good. Honestly, I have fun cutting the game. It's like a new, it's like a player, you know, you're only as good as your last game. Um, So yeah, definitely cutting the game is the best part for me. Yeah. When you, uh, when it's a job that you really enjoy doing, just simply doing the task at hand is, uh, is what you enjoy. So Jordan, let's uh, quickly go back to you here and uh, talk about some of the ups and downs of the job on the, on your side. Yeah. I'd certainly say that for the most difficult uh, portion of your job, it's certainly finding the time every week and scheduling everything in to make sure you have everything done and given to your coaches and players in a time that it is useful for them to use it. Uh, It's one thing to, you know, do up a report, have it done up very nice and have presentation flawless. But if you're giving it a day before the game, it's not going to do you too much. And it'll, it'll raise up nerves. It'll increase stress. And that's what pre-scouts are not supposed to do. They're supposed to improve and loosen stress, you know, make people less nervous and more comfortable and just play your game. And so for me, it's, it's certainly finding the time management. And once you find a really good way, you have to stick with it, with your scheduling, with what you want to do, when you want to do it, uh, setting certain times aside. Because video coaching, when you're starting out right up until you get up to the pro ranks, uh, for most folks, it is it could be classified in terms of either salary-based volunteer or a honorarium, or if you're lucky, a part-time basis. And so you have to manage uh, jobs. And for a lot of folks, especially like, you know, us, uh, you have to manage academic schooling full-time. And, but that also helps you with the not so easy part, which was the, you know, the time management, because you learn with those experiences how to manage through time. And I'd say the easiest part, brushing on to what uh, Beck said, was uh, the simply just clipping the game. It's incredibly fun. It, for me, experience-wise, from the first period that I've, I did, whether it was with the Amherst Ramblers, uh, Hockey Canada, whether it was with UMB, Predicton, it felt like I was part of the game. And when you're up there and you're tagging and you're watching every player's moves, every little thing that they do, and especially – the, the good things that they do, you really like seeing that. And for me personally, I, I always like whenever I see something good, I always go down and tell the boys how good, or girls, how good of a job they did because I see it at a different angle and they might not have heard it. And if they didn't, then there they heard it. Yeah, it's always great to uh, to see the uh, the benefits and the positives uh, in the gameplay. Uh, Alex, let's, uh, let's hear your thoughts on, uh, you know, some of your favorite parts of the job and, and some of your not so favorite parts. Yeah, I think, Favorite part is just being around the rink, being around the group of guys, especially, um, you know, being with Ottawa U this year, U Ottawa this year was um, a really good experience. All the guys were super friendly and coaches were really welcoming. Or Everybody had been around together for a few years and I was kind of the new guy. So um, they were all really open, really willing to make you feel comfortable and just hanging out in the coach's office, whether it's talking hockey or or anything else that's going on. Um, it's kind of one of the best parts. And and like uh, Jordan said, clipping games, being a part of the games. I'm kind of a coach at heart. Like I 
liked being involved in the game and um, I'm generally a pretty intense guy during the game so it's it's a nice way to kind of keep that excitement and everything hardest part like Ian said is just the technical issues that come up like you know drop feeds anything like that I've one story I had I was in Pembroke in the CC and uh, we had a game there and I set up in the stands there was nowhere else to set up so I set up and apparently I was in a season ticket holder's seat and when I was coming back from the first intermission, I looked up seeing a 80 year old guy ripping up my equipment. So just, uh, that was also, uh, learning to keep your, enco- your uh, composure kind of moment. So, um, you know, just, I think that's the hardest part is just the technical issues, just be ready to adapt to whatever happens. Yeah. Be, uh, be adaptable, be ready to take on any challenge and, Watch out for season ticket holders. Uh, all good points there. Uh, Emily. I was ready to fight him just to make yeah. that clear. Like I was ready, but yeah, yeah, that's, uh, cool. that would have been uh, quite the addition to the round table uh, video series, but uh, Emily, let's hear your thoughts on the, uh, the ups and the downs. Yeah, I think uh, everyone else has said it pretty well. Um, you know, the tough parts are obviously the technical issues that are going to come up. And they always happen. Like you're not the first person it's happened to. You're not the last person that it's going to happen to. Um, But sometimes coaches don't realize that in the heat of the moment. Uh, So that's not always the most fun. And also kind of like Jordan alluded to the time part, um, you know, when you're in season um, it's usually a seven day a week job. Um, And a lot of the time you're going to be on call with your coaches. Um, So just, understanding that um, and knowing that kind of from the get-go making sure that you surround yourself with people who are going to support you in that um, because people don't understand that it's a grind Um, it gets really hard Um, so you want to make sure that you have people around you who understand who are going to be gracious enough when you haven't seen them for weeks or months on end Um, but then you know the fun part of it is just getting to travel, getting to see different places, experience new arenas and new places that you may not have been able to go to um, without being in this position. So for me personally, like I've gotten to travel all over the world, uh, Russia, Finland, Italy, um, and those are places I never would have gone to um, without being a video coach. So I think just those experiences and the relationships that you make, um, the coaches that you get to work with, the players you get to work with, um, that makes all of the hard stuff seem like nothing. Yeah, you give to the game. Yeah, it gives right back in that sense. Uh, Ian, your thoughts? Yeah, just the, the one thing that always gives me a chuckle when, you know, talking about video coaches is after the game or in between periods, the coach, hey, do you see this coach? Do you see that play? No, but, you know, I can tell you how many four checks I had, how many turnovers I had of the chances I've tagged, you know, it's just, you know, everyone's watching a different game out there. And that's one thing I always kind of chuckle to myself is I kind of rewatch it after, you know, there's some times in Laval where, you know, I'm changing the lines when Laval scores. So I miss a lot of their goals. And then I see a lot of the opposition goals and I'll go in the video room after the game. I kind of just like, you know, you watch the package on sports center. It's kind of what I do after the game just to, yeah, I was there, but I don't really remember what happened until I watched that after I'm too busy, you know, all the keys <laughs> yeah when you're doing uh, when you're in the zone and doing your job it uh you zone out everything else but you no know, a funny uh, a funny add on there 
So one of the key parts uh, of this interview process that I really wanted to tie in is the evolution of the job of video coaching. I know a few of you have been doing it here for a little while. So uh, maybe let's start with Ian. Uh, just talk about how the job has evolved over time and, and some of the key parts that have changed. Yeah, so I think in terms of the job evolving, uh, we had mentioned before where now player shifts are accessible for at home probably 10, 15 minutes after the game. So players have the ability to look at their shifts. Um, there's more league mandates or streamlines as to how you're supposed to send in video for dangerous hits or supplemental discipline, stuff like that. Uh, the referee supervisors want video now. That's definitely evolved. And really, I think just how much better the systems have gotten at importing video, you know, going to HD and now 4K and just keeping up with the, the camera specifications, the hardware specifications to make sure that the RAM is good enough, the storage is big enough on the computers, and just all in all, I guess, more video. Yeah, yeah, so many different uh, evolutions there. Emily, uh, let's dive into your thoughts uh, about how the role has changed and some of the aspects that have changed specifically. Yeah, I think, you know, competition is so close uh, and skill now um, at kind of the higher levels, especially in the NCAA, the parity has just become so close between teams. So trying to find that edge, um, you know, where can you make a difference? Um, and there's just so many tools available to you, whether it's an outside analytics company like Iceberg or SportLogic um, and trying to figure out what's going to help your team win. Um, so I think, yeah, there's just a lot more tools, um, probably more responsibility. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we have the ability to challenge goals now. Um, so now that kind of falls on me, whereas before it didn't. Um, so I think as the years go on, especially when you stay with the same team year after year, um, you start to have more responsibility and it's not a bad thing, um, but it definitely evolves. Um, and especially when, like Alex was talking about, you have a coaching staff who wants to help you move in your career. Um, they're going to push you. Um, so I think it just every year, uh, technology advances, there's different things that you can try. Um, so it's just constantly evolving. Yeah. Uh, again, so many great points there and, uh, the different resources for analytics and things like that. And, uh, instat being another one, but, uh, you know, just, it goes to show how, quick and, and how seamless the job changes and how you kind of just have to be ready to, to take on that extra role and, and be ready for something, you know, like uh, challenging goals and things like that. Uh, Jordan, what's your thoughts on the topic? Uh, my thoughts is that the demand for video has been really huge over the last, maybe particular the decade in terms of just from simply connecting to the players, uh, bringing in their shifts, things like that it has evolved greatly where it used to just be, you know, like Bex mentioned, I believe it was that he was starting to practice his games uh, using a, an old DVD, an old DVD game. That's, that used to be a lot of uh, way of doings for a lot, many coaches at many levels. And that would be the same for players that a lot of them, you know, they might at, at best back in the day, get the game tape that they want to see their own shifts and they'd have to watch through the game on the DVD or the VHS or, whatever have you in order to see their play. But now uh, in terms of time management and uh, trying to get that edge, uh, like Emily mentioned there, 
it's uh, the implementation of video has become so huge because of that. Yeah, really, uh, I agree with that fully. And um, I'm sure Alex is going to have similar thoughts on that. Alex, uh, just kind of tie in what you think about the, uh, the evolution of the position. Yeah, I think it's become more of a, almost a jack of all trades position. You're not, you know, probably five, 10 years ago, you just needed to be a hockey person that knew what was going on during the game and could push a few keys. But now you're the analytics person, you're the IT coordinator, like you're, you're doing everything from helping somebody reset their phone to uh, breaking down, like, you know, the analytics chart that you get. So um, it's definitely become, and like Emily said, it's so competitive that you can't just be, you can't just know hockey and do video. You have to know all aspects. You don't have to be perfect in all of them or a genius or anything like that, but you do have to have a wide variety of knowledge. Um, and it goes away from hockey to, to again, that IT side and, and what Ian said, knowing computer components and cameras and everything like that. So it, it definitely evolved to more of a kind of technology uh, jack of all trades position. Yeah, it's good to have that background knowledge. And at the end of the day, you have to be smart and have that key hockey mind to uh, really do the position well and, and uh, you know, bring as much value as you can in that position. So a uh, number of great points there made by you all. Before we lead into the final question, uh, a listener came in and uh, requested to hear about uh, the process of selecting a team environment that is right for you. Um, Emily, maybe we'll go back to you to start here uh, to elaborate. What are some of the qualities that you look for in a coach or GM uh, or of an organization as a whole and when considering a position? And then what are some aspects that you're willing to maybe be a little more flexible on uh, when selecting a team? Yeah, I think for me personally, um, seeing how management or coaches, how they treat other people is really important. Um, and not just the people that they work with, not just the players that they coach, but people they see around the rink. Um, you know, how do they treat the chef who's cooking them food or how do they treat, you know, the janitor who comes in and cleans the locker room afterwards. I think that's a huge test of character. Um, and to me, that's really important. Um, I think leadership starts, you know, at the top and trickles down. So um, if you're lucky enough to work with someone who really values people, um, I think that's, for me, it's really important uh, to just be around those types of people too. Um, and I don't really think that's something I would want to uh, give up, to be honest, especially with how much time you spend with coaches and the team. Uh, you want to make sure that you're comfortable. Um, it's a place where you can voice your opinion without being yelled at or looked down on. Um, but other things like I think I'd be pretty flexible with. Um, I think honestly just kind of the, the values that a team holds um, are probably the most important for me. Yeah, really good point there. And, and Jordan, you know, in our previous conversation on your episode, uh, you touched on the different parts of uh, the coaches and coaching staffs that you've worked with that you've really admired. Uh, maybe just talk about some of the things that you look for uh, when selecting a team or, or an organiza organization overall. Absolutely. It, it, for me, it always starts uh, and ends with my decision uh, with the head coach that's in place with the team. And for me, it's because just how I set myself up with teams, with how I work, with how I like to communicate, I, I really like to, to be as close with the head coach as possible. 
And for that reason is because of my age and with what I want to do in the game is I want to absorb as much possible as I can from the folks that, you know, have seen the game in a different lens. And, and that doesn't even have to be video coaching. So for me, I just have to have a really close experience with the coach and a guy that's really, or girl, that's really willing to have that connection with you that they want to help you grow just as much as they want to see their players grow and move on and do real successful things. And for me, that's, that's probably one of the most important parts. And then from there on, I'd have to certainly take a look at uh, the management group, uh, like where the team's heading, what their player personnel consists of, what their team's values are in scouting players. Uh, for me, one of my decisions to come to Fredericton was that uh, one of the biggest attributes in our drafting our players uh, was resulted in just character, uh, just character guys. And once you bring them in, you work with them. I think that's the same thing as a coach. You got to look at this. You have to look at that same format as like a draft. You have all these coaches and teams out there and you have to only pick at, at that current time, one club to be with. And so it's really important to do your homework and see who you're going to be part of. Yeah, you know, that homework is uh, is very important. You don't want to throw yourself into a situation that uh, maybe you regret later on in your career. Uh, Alex, uh, what are your thoughts on picking a team and organization? I know you were pretty happy with uh, with where you went and you were really willing to do anything and everything. So just touch on that a little bit and maybe some parts that you're a little more flexible with, uh, maybe even with a future job. Yeah, um, I think like Jordan and Emily said, you know, finding somebody that's, you just want to find a right fit. Somebody that you get along with, whether it's talking about hockey, or the game's going on, or just talking about life. Like just somebody that you can get along with, that you feel comfortable being in the same room with. Because um, you're you're with those guys, depending on your situation, almost every day. So um, one of the big things I look for and what I liked when I came to U Ottawa was that Pat and Sully, the head coach and uh, associate coach, they want to see me move up just as much as they want to see players move up. Like Jordan said, um, they want staff to be a, a, around as long as they can, but they understand people want to move up, especially, you know, the five of us, we're all in situations where we probably want to go pro or move to a higher level, something like that. So if you can find a s staff that's willing to help you with that, I think that's a huge benefit. Like I had, uh, Brent helped me out this summer, just reaching out and making new contacts because of guys he knew. So, and he was more than willing to to help with out with that. And and it just it helps your career move forward, and it, it just makes it a positive experience going to the rink. Uh, I would say that you're not always going to find your perfect staff, and sometimes you are just going to have to suck it up with where you go and who you work with. Like it's it's kind of especially when you're starting out. Um, I got really lucky that, you know, Darcy Finley was the head coach in, in Nepean and he was a big video guy. So it was a great experience for me, but it could have easily been the other way. And it was, you know, an old cranky guy who didn't believe in video and it could have been a horrible opportunity. So there are going to be times that you're going to have to suck it up and, and make the most of it, most out of it yourself. But, uh, if you do have the opportunity to kind of pick your, who you're working for, find somebody that's ready to push you forward and help you grow uh, as a coach or video coach, whatever it is. 
Yeah, it's always good to have that positive outlook. And when you can find someone that has the same perspective and, as you said, is looking to help coaches and, and other members of the staff progress just as much as the players, it's only a, uh, you know, a great environment to work for everybody. So, uh, Ian, what's your thoughts on uh, picking a program and what's some things that you're flexible with uh, in that search? Yeah, so everyone's brought up good points. So I don't want to repeat any of them, but if there's one thing you're doing as an outsider, it's really look into the staff like perhaps look at maybe why is the head coach changing every year is it because the coach is moving up or management's impatient or why are the scouts or why is everyone changing every year so that's really big to look into and then just the other thing is really how competitive the program is like winning is so hard to do at any level you know I can even argue it's harder to win at lower levels than pro because younger levels kids are only there for one two years max uh, so just look at if you can get into an organization that's always competitive. Like I was fortunate with the Lions. The team was always competitive. We were always in, you know, the conference finals, the finals. And, you know, you learn, you learn how to extend your season past the regular season. You learn, you know, how to take on more responsibility in the playoffs. Really just look for, you know, why the staff has stayed the same or changed. And then how competitive is, competitive is the organization year after year yeah do your homework and and make sure that everything that you're looking for in an organization is there and when you make that choice all good points uh, from four of you there and for people looking to get into video coaching it's something to consider so finally to bring everything we've been talking about uh, together this evening uh, Ian let's go with you if you could give someone uh, advice who's looking to enter this field uh, what's what would that piece of advice be well, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but, you know, once again, just try to get free trials from softwares, follow pro hockey video coaches on Twitter. You know, like I mentioned, you can pick up other things from other coaches. Like I picked up my retrieval button from Emily and then, you know, just kind of dig around out there, try new things. Uh, maybe, you know, everyone copies everyone in life. Just try to take your own, take other people's concepts and maybe tweak them, make them work better for you. Like, one thing I should have mentioned before was with the key list. I know some people, they, they'll take a piece of paper and a piece of tape and they'll put it on the keyboard and over G, they'll mark goal. So if you know you haven't memorized your key list, you can just look down and see goal, for example. So you know, just really try to do all you can do and prepare yourself for the opportunity that you get because you never know, A, if you're going to move up and B, when your next one's going to come. So just do your best to be prepared and you know, grow as a video coach and a per, as a person. Yeah, really uh, strong and, and key points there. And uh, the tape over the keyboards, uh, one I never heard of, but I'm sure there's people out there that utilize that. Uh, Alex, uh, what's a piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's looking to get into this field? Um, I think just be willing to or be ready to do anything. Uh, you don't know when your opportunity is going to come. It Hockey's like a great industry to work for, but it is very hard to get into um there are a lot of guys that you know like always working with the same coaches so you're probably not going to get hired by them because they'll bring in their guys so any opportunity you see whether it's volunteering um, if you have a junior hockey team in your area they're always taking volunteers so when I started with NPN I was running the canteens selling tickets doing the goal like like it that's how I got started and it's just that was the opportunity that was there and and then I got lucky and a video coach position opened up. So just be willing to kind of put in that work and 
you're not going to get paid right away. You're going to miss a lot of Friday night parties. Like it's be ready to put in a lot of work, but it is a great industry to be in. And I don't regret, I think any minute that I spent to the rink. So um, yeah, I think that's the biggest advice is just be willing to do anything and, and any help anyone. Yeah. The opportunity cost is definitely a consideration, but you know, on a Friday night, if you're in a rink, uh, there's not many places I think a lot of us would rather be. So uh, Emily, what's your final thoughts for someone looking to get into video coaching? Yeah, I definitely think networking is a huge aspect. Um, asking questions if you have them, reaching out to other people. Um, you know, the pro hockey Twitter account has been awesome and it's really kind of grown a lot. Um, and I think it's really good to see what people are doing and kind of like Ian said, how you can implement different strategies for yourself. Um, I also think it's great to just always be a student, never stop learning um, and even learning from other sports too. I see a huge value in that. Um, I know Huddle puts on a huge users conference every summer in Las Vegas. Um, we didn't this summer, obviously, but um, I've learned a lot listening um, to you know English Premier League clubs talk about how they use huddle, um, rugby clubs, basketball teams. Um, so I think there's a lot of value in seeing how other sports utilize video um, and analytics and seeing how you can maybe use that with your own team. So never stop learning, um, always stay curious and just try to keep developing your skills. Yeah, continual learning and networking is really key. And like you said, it doesn't have to be in hockey, it could be uh, other sports as well. And uh, you know, so many different uh, viewpoints and thoughts and opinions can lead to new ideas. So a great uh, piece of advice there. Jordan, uh, take us home here. What's one piece of advice that you'd give for uh, someone looking to enter the world of video coaching? Yeah, it's pretty similar to what I said in our podcast, Ryan, there a few months ago. But uh, I, I value very greatly uh, the power of going to a simple hockey conference and just listening to hockey. And for video coaches, a lot of them might think that, you know, you have to stay in the video aspect of things in order to get better. But for me, since you're being a coach, since you're working with coaches, since you're evaluating players, you're constantly on the run trying to innovate your own game. I think attending conferences as well as read books, tons of books. There's lots of great authors, athletic authors, coaches that have went on and won many championships. Those are the folks that you really have to learn from because there's a lot of approaches and you know tactics that people use day to day that you'll see but there's always tools that you can find that can better process and for me the easiest way is a book and the second easiest way would be to go on twitter and link up with people same as linkedin uh kind of build like a little bit of a bond a bubble with folks in in your area what your expertise are and from there, you really just have to use that knowledge and find a way to make it work into your craft with what you want to provide. Yeah, really create those connections and, and build your own roundtable, as they say. But I just want to thank everybody for uh, providing a ton of insight here and really, uh, you know, diving deep into a number of different topics uh, in addition to your own individual episodes. So uh, thank you again, Emily, Jordan, Alex, and Ian uh, for joining me today. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Take care.
like to thank Ian, Alex, Emily, and Jordan for joining me to talk about the topic of video coaching. It's no question we can learn a lot from one-on-one -on -one conversation, but having a roundtable like this really sparks a different type of conversation and insight. So once again, I'd like to thank all of them for joining me. If you would like to continue the video coaching conversation with any of the guests you heard here today, I encourage you to reach out to them directly or contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can look to make that connection for you. On the next episode of the podcast, I'll be joined by Dylan Sika, General Manager of the Sarnia Sting. Being someone who has helped me in my own career, I was excited to have Dylan join me and his interview did not disappoint with a lot of stories and even more insight, so stay tuned for that release on Wednesday. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and please let us know how you enjoyed the roundtable discussion, and if you would like to hear more of these in the future. With that, everyone stay safe, and all the best.